Please turn with me in your copies of God's Word once again to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. This afternoon we're going to be continuing from the sermon this morning, concluding this psalm. Last time we looked at verses 1-6 through and saw how God is revealed in the book of nature in what's known as general revelation. Well, this afternoon we're going to look at the second way in which God reveals Himself in the book of Scripture through what's known as special revelation. So please give your full attention to the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word from Psalm chapter 19, beginning at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let us ask His blessing upon it. O Lord, as we come now to consider Thy Holy Word, not just Thy Word proclaimed to us this day, but Thy Word in general, Thy Word as... uh, Scripture itself. Lord, we pray that Thou wouldst cause us to love Thy Word, love Thy law more and more. Lord, we pray that Thy Word would stand firm here in this place. We rest in the promise that the grass withereth and the flower thereof fadeth away, but the word of our God stands forever. O Lord, feed us with thy word this afternoon. Let it truly be sweeter than honey and the honeycomb to our lips.
Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we did speak on general revelation, and so now we are switching gears to speak on special revelation. You may have noticed this morning that I made mention several times, even in the preaching and discussion on how God has revealed Himself in nature, I made mention of the absolute necessity of the Word. Now, I don't want to belabor that point, but that is of prime importance. We have to understand the absolute necessity of the Word of God. We are in the Reformed tradition, and we believe in a high view of Scripture. That's why the preaching is front and center in our services, because We believe in the high importance of the Word of God. We believe in the doctrine sola scriptura. That Scripture alone is our infallible rule of faith and life. We believe these things. We have a high view of Scripture and that's good. We need that. But how many times... Have you just sat there and thought to yourself, why? Why do we have such a high view of Scripture? Why is the Word of God so necessary for us? Why is it so important? Why does it take the place of preeminence in our understanding of the Reformed faith? In our understanding of the Christian faith? And so it's my desire this afternoon that we come to a greater understanding and appreciation for this book. That it's not just that we hold it in high regard because our family told us to. That it's not that we hold it in high regard because our Confession of faith tells us to. No, it's my hope that when we leave here today, that we hold this book in high regard because of what it is. Because it is the very Word of God. We're going to look at this book of Scripture at special revelation by looking at Two separate things. First, we're going to look at Scripture's properties. And then we're going to look at Scripture's purposes. So let's turn our attention first to the properties of special revelation of Scripture. David begins this long string of seven properties with what can be argued is the most important of them all. He writes, the law of the Lord is perfect. If this is not our starting point when coming to the Scriptures, understanding that they are perfect, 
then we're beginning on a faulty foundation. What does it mean when we say that the law of the Lord is perfect? Well, if something is perfect, then that means there is no flaws, no blemishes, no mistakes. We live in a world that is constantly challenging this primary property of the Scripture. The world says that the Bible is an antiquated book that was written by men and full of errors and contradictions. And it's funny that this lie keeps getting propagated even though there's never been a single person able to produce a single error or contradiction in any part of the Scripture. And that's because Scripture is perfect. And it can only be perfect because of its source. God is the author of Scripture. Yes, men were used as instruments to write down the Word. But they were holy men carried along by the Holy Ghost. As 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us. We read all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Which is what Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16. This is why from Genesis to Revelation, there is consistency, there's accuracy, there's no contradictions, there's no errors. The source of Scripture is God Himself. It's God working through the pen of men by His Holy Ghost. And because He is the source, we know that Scripture is true, it's infallible, it's authoritative, it's clear, it's trustworthy, and it's been kept pure through all ages. I know it may seem like I'm focusing heavily upon this first property, especially given the fact that there's six others that we need to get to and discuss. But the perfection of the law of the Lord is the foundation from which the other properties flow. And it's also the most pressing one concerning where we are as a society today. Some of you may find yourselves in a situation where the perfection of Scripture is being challenged. Where people are actively trying to deceive you. I guarantee you that you will be presented with these lies of the world concerning the perfection of the Word of God. You need to be prepared to answer them. But these deceptions, these challenges to the perfection of the Scriptures, they're not just out there in the world but they're starting to creep into the church as well. It's not just the world that is challenging it, but it is so-called theologians as well. This comes in the form of ancient Near Eastern studies, evolutionary theories, in some forms of modern textual criticism. 
There are those who claim the name of Christ who are questioning the perfection of the law of the Lord. And it's nothing more than a new form of Satan's old lie hath God said. That is what those scholars, those theologians, even those pastors who cast doubt upon the perfection of the law of God, that's what they are saying. They are parroting the lies of Satan. Hath God said. Do not fall prey to these things. Hold fast to the teaching of the perfection of Scripture. Trust in the source of Scripture who is God Himself to be faithful and true. Do not be convinced by the evil men and the seducers, those who are seeking to spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. But instead cling to the truth that you know the law of the Lord is perfect. And flowing from that perfection, we read the testimony of the Lord is sure. And to rightly understand this, you have to set aside our modern understanding, our modern notion of what the word sure means. Oftentimes we use it in an uncertain way or in an apathetic way. We say sure to mean yes, but without conviction. But that's not what's being said here. To say that the testimony of the Lord is sure is to say that it is unwavering and it's without hesitation. When God says something, He means it. The Scriptures are not a composition of suggestions. But they lay forth exactly what God has meant for us to have. No amount of modern scientific discovery can nullify what is written in the Scriptures. No amount of Societal change can affect how we understand what is written in this book. Scientists who are claiming that the earth is billions of years old do not uh, make the account of Genesis untrue. What it means is that those scientists are in error. Society accepting and promoting homosexuality and all other sorts of perversions does not make it any less sinful. It just shows the depravity of the world that we live in. Christ is king over this nation and He calls this magistrate to rule accordingly no matter what the Constitution may say. The testimonies of the Lord do not waver or falter. They do not change with the times. No, the testimonies of the Lord are sure. Next we read, the statutes of the Lord are right. 
and the commandment of the Lord is pure. I'll put these two together, not because they are the same thing, but because they are intimately connected. The fact that the statutes of the Lord are right means that every ruling that has ever been made, that every case law that is written down in this book, that every precept pronounced and every command that is given is 100% correct and useful for us today. They're not tainted by cultural contextualization. They're not tainted by the cunning of men. No, they are pure in all their ways. There's no hidden agenda to what God lays out in His Word. There's no nefarious nature to what is written in the Scriptures. It is undefiled, blameless, unblemished, upright, moral, holy, and just. And we receive it as such and apply it to our lives accordingly. We don't add to them or take away from them. We don't seek to correct that which cannot be corrected. The very word that we have in our hands today is the unadulterated, holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word that was given in ages past. And it is just as much for us as it was for them. Statutes and commandments of the Lord contained in these 66 books are ours. And they are right and pure. And finally, we see the fear of the Lord is clean. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Clean and true are simply expansions upon uh, pure and right. But I want to take a moment and focus particularly upon the property of Scripture that it is righteous all together. Righteousness is a characteristic or, or a property that can only rightly be attributed to God. The fact that David attributes righteousness to the word of God, to the word of the lord is important because it means that the very characteristics of god himself are part and parcel of the characteristics of scripture the word of god contains the attributes the characteristics of god himself the judgments of the Lord are all together righteous. They are holy. They are sanctified and set apart for a holy purpose. They are all righteous from the greatest to the least without single exception. There is nothing in all of Scripture that cannot be described as holy righteous. This is essentially the summation of everything that David has been speaking of concerning the properties of Scripture. It's all summed up in this one. 
Calvin notes by this commendation, he distinguishes the law of God from all the doctrines of men, for no blemish or fault can be found in it, but it is in all points absolutely perfect. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God is amazing. It's completely unlike any other book or writing that is out there. It can inform us. It can transform us because of the Holy Ghost working through the words on the page, making them effectual in our lives. And it can do that because it is perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true and righteous all together. And what's even more amazing is that All of these properties of Scripture listed in this psalm points us towards the Word incarnate. Towards Jesus Christ, who is the living embodiment of this book and in whom we have our salvation and hope. And so Calvin puts it this way, since God in vain calls all peoples to Himself by the contemplation of heaven and earth, God's Word is the very school of His children in which He teaches them the way of salvation. This is how God teaches us the way of salvation. And so this leads us now to consider the purposes of special revelation. David does something similar with the purposes of special revelation as he did with the properties He begins a string of purposes and then goes into a more expanded explanation towards the end of the chapter. And just as he began the properties with the most important ones, so too does he begin his list of purposes. He begins by proclaiming, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This is the primary function of the written Word. This morning we saw that general revelation did uh, did not reveal what was necessary for man to, to be saved. It didn't reveal what was necessary concerning salvation. But here we see that the gap in general revelation is filled in with the primary purpose of special revelation. It's from the Word of God that we come to an understanding of how we have fallen into sin and we are in need of a Savior. It is from the Word of God that we learn of the sacrificial death of Christ Jesus who took on the sins of His people and on the third day rose again from the dead conquering death, hell, and the grave. It is from the Word of God that we find the way of salvation in Romans 10.9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And then later on in that same chapter, Paul states explicitly the need for the Word. So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing... By the Word of God. 
I've heard far too many times that you will reach people for the Gospel simply by how you live your life. And there's some sense in which that can be true. However, this is oftentimes simply a cop-out for not sharing the Gospel with those around you. If all you're doing is living a good and upright life, then it's much more likely that you will convert them to vain moralism than you will convert them to Christianity. The Gospel must be proclaimed, and it must be proclaimed through the proclamation of the Word. In some small sense, we are to live out the Great Commission every day In Matthew 28, Christ says, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Friends, you can't teach people to obey all that Christ has commanded without the Word. Outside of the proclamation of the Word, there is no ordinary means of salvation. The law of the Lord converts the soul. And just as with the perfection of special revelation being the fountain upon which all other properties, out of which all other properties flow, so too is it that the purpose of converting uh, souls is the fountain upon which all other purposes flow. The psalmist goes on to say that this special revelation given to us in the Scripture makes wise the simple and enlightens the eye. This is an after effect of the soul being converted. It's only after the heart is regenerated by the power of the Holy Ghost that the simple is made wise and the eyes are enlightened. The Word of God not only changes our outward actions, it renews our minds. It alters our whole bent and purpose for our lives. So many so-called Christians view the Bible as simply an instrument that brought about salvation, but after that, it's just a book a book to sit on the shelf and collect dust. But that ought not be the case. The Word of the Lord has a continuing purpose in this life and in the life of a believer. It has a continuing purpose in correcting errors, instructing us in the way that we should go and conforming us more and more into the image of Christ Jesus. If you're neglecting the in-depth reading of the Word in your day-to-day life, then you are missing out on one of the primary means by which the Lord promises to grow and mature you in the faith. Some of you here may have grown stagnant in your spiritual walk. And if that's you, examine yourself. And see if it's because you've neglected the Word. 
And if it is, if it's because you have neglected the word, then seek to remedy the problem promptly. It's God's word that makes the simple wise and enlightens the eye. And in that you will find another purpose of special revelation. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Friends, there is a joy that is to be found in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1 speaks of the righteous man who is Christ Jesus. And it speaks of Him being the one who delights in the law of the Lord. And if you are in Christ, then that righteous man is you as well. You must find your delight in His most perfect law. So often we can approach the Word with a sense of annoyance or even disdain for having to read it. I found myself before even being angry that I had to spend time in the Word instead of getting to do something that I wanted to do more. How sickening is that? How blasphemous is that? If you find it difficult to come to the Word and to truly find joy in it, then cry out to the Lord to remove that sin from your heart and to cause the Word to bring rejoicing in you. We ought to be able to sing, not just not just say the words, but truly sing the words and mean it of Psalm 119, Selection M. Oh, how I love your law. It is my study all the day. We must find our joy in the word of the Lord. And the last in the string of purposes is that this special revelation endures forever. There will never be a moment in human history in which the revelation of God is stripped away and man is left with only general revelation. No, the Word endures forever. No scheme of hell set out to destroy or dismantle the Holy Scriptures will prosper because the Lord has promised that His Word will stand. The grass withereth and the flower thereof fadeth away, but the Word of the Lord endureth forever. Now why is this a purpose of special revelation and not considered a property? Because the word going forth continually is its purpose. Special revelation has always been intended to endure forever and ever. It was always intended to speak to people in every age of human existence. And so this ought to bring us great comfort to our souls that the Lord is faithful to preserve and promote His Word throughout every generation. On this, Spurgeon writes, the revealed will 
of God is never changed. Even Jesus came not to destroy, but to fulfill. And even the ceremonial law was only changed as to its shadow. The substance attended by it is eternal. When the governments of nations are shaken with revolution and ancient constitutions are being repealed, it is comforting to know that the throne of God is unshaken and His law unaltered. Friends, the word of the Lord endures forever. And now here, David makes a shift in how he speaks of the purpose of special revelation. He begins to shift by speaking of the equipping and nourishing aspect of the word. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. There's nothing in this world that is to be desired more than the living and active Word of the Lord. It is the Word which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is the Word which is our offensive weapon in the war against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And nothing feeds us spiritually like the Word of God. We are told to not be content with the milk of the Word, but to feast on the meat of it. It's through diligent study of doctrine found in these Scriptures that we grow and mature and develop. It is our meat all the day long. Have you ever noticed that the times when you are at your lowest points spiritually, it's almost always those times when you are out of the Word for prolonged periods of time. We must be hungering and thirsting for the Word because without it we will starve. A special revelation is not just for equipping and nourishing, it's also for convicting and sanctifying. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. The Word must be our mentor. It must be our teacher penetrating our hearts and showing us our faults. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells us that Scripture is profitable for correction. We must be willing to listen to the correction of the Word and to heed its call lest we stumble and fall from the way. And in doing so, in heeding the call of the Word and keeping the law of the Lord, there is great reward. This isn't the reward of salvation because it's not by works that we're saved. But it's the reward of blessing. Blessing that the Lord uh, gives 
through obedience to His Word. There are true blessings that the Lord has ordained for us in this life that come through faithful, Spirit-wrought obedience. Part of that reward is closer communion with the triune God. That's part of what it means to be sanctified. And all this truth about special revelation, about the Word of the Lord, warrants a response from us. David gives that response as we see the words of Christ, as he relied upon the Lord and His Word through all things. Who can understand His errors? Cleanse thou me from secret thoughts, uh, from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Friends, this ought to be our response as well. Absolute reliance upon the word of the Lord in all matters. The scriptures are our ultimate authority in all matters concerning faith and life. They are absolutely sufficient for everything. We don't need to look to science or philosophy or culture or anything else to correct what God has given. We have the Word of God. Let this prayer at the end of Psalm 19 be your prayer that the Lord would keep you from sin. That He would keep you innocent of transgression. And that everything you do would be pleasing in His sight. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we all learn to marvel at and love and take delight in the law of the Lord in a way that we have never done before. None of us are perfect in this area. We all have room to improve. Let us never take for granted the special revelation which God has given unto us. So the challenge to you this day going forward is love the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. Rely on it to equip you and to nourish you. And thank the Lord for His special revelation. May we be known as a people of the Word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come unto Thee once again. And we do thank Thee for Thy Word. Thy Word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. O 
Lord, let us never lose sight of what this book is that we carry in our hands. Let us not fall prey to the cunning words of men who seek to cast doubt upon the truthfulness of God's Word. Keep us from falling prey to those scholars who at the root of all of their scholarly questions are truly asking, hath God said? O Lord, let us learn to love Thy law. Let us truly be able to say, Oh, how I love thy law it is, my study all the day. Calls us to meditate upon it and use thy word to transform our hearts and to cause us to grow and mature in knowledge and in righteousness. O Lord, be with us as we depart from here this day. And be with us through the remainder of our worship. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.